Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom, and this week I am thrilled to be joined by a former USA Cycling colleague of mine um, and somebody who uh, has excellent taste in trainers, I will say, uh, excellent choice in footwear, uh, somebody who knows his way around the velodrome, and somebody who has made a very interesting career path change uh, recently. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Lee Povey. Lee, you are the CEO of Maximize Your Potential Coaching, and you are co-founder and vice president of Empower Marriage and Family Therapy. Um, But I know you from your time as the ODP track sprint coach. So welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm very excited um, to talk to you because you bring a very high performance mindset to everything you do. And high performance is very interesting to our listeners. And so it is very exciting to to have you here to talk about what you're doing, what you did do, um, and just stuff in general, just a general catch up with somebody who is a, you know, a well-respected member of our community. So Lee, welcome to the pod. Uh, morning, Joan, or afternoon is, is for you guys there. Lovely to be on this cast with you. I'm looking forward to what you're going to challenge me with and the questions you're going to ask me. Well, the first question is, what color trainers are you wearing today? Black. Black. All right. <laughs> Just got back from the gym. I've gone all black, but I do have, as you know, a vast collection of colorful sneakers and they're not going anywhere. So, yeah, Well, I when this summer when you were here for Elite Nationals, I pointed out uh, you to Maura, who's also here on the pod, uh, and said that Lee has the best assortment of footwear in the <laughs> in the sport of track cycling. So I did point out your... Uh, should have your... sent you a picture. Me and Sarah went to a wedding a couple of weekends ago and I got to wear my gold sneakers. Gold. Because she was wearing a gold dress, so I wore gold sneakers to match my gold tie and my blue suit. So you're going to have to send that photo in for the show notes. <laughs> we will use okay. that in the promotional photos because, yes, you have, a, of people I know, the best taste in, in footwear. So we want <laughs> to get you. that out of the way bright and early. Wanted to see what you were sporting on your feet today. Um, I did a lot of research for this. Um, we were we were colleagues at USA Cycling, but we didn't really interact. Um, you were not in the office. I was. Uh, so I knew who you were, but I didn't know a whole lot about you. And I've known you here at T-Town, um, mostly as the person who brings a lot of very fast sprint athletes to the track. Um, a lot of athletes who are very high performance focused athletes. Um, but I didn't really know a whole lot about you and your background. Um, and so I thought, Let's let's start there. You are not from here, as the accent gives away. Uh, so tell us about your pathway from the UK to America. I really like messing with Americans. Well, they say, where are you from? And I say, Long Beach. And I just don't say anything after that and leave the pause as long as I can and watch them kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, <clears throat> how did I get here? So uh, I was on the national team in the UK as a junior. Um, this was before GB had all the funding and everything, at a point where we were probably the worst nation in the world. 
I realized I wasn't that gifted. So I wasn't going to be an elite world champion. It wasn't going to be a career for me because I didn't have that setup there. And I wasn't good enough to make it despite the setup that they had. So I ended up going into real estate, worked for a corporate agency for six years. Awesome training. Learned a lot about leadership and the skills around that without even realizing I was learning it. Had my own real estate business for five years. In the meantime, um, British Cycling has set up uh, something called the Talent Team, which was uh, a talent ID program. And they kept getting me in to do guest stuff for track sprinters because there wasn't a lot of track sprint coaching. So in the southern region, um, I would go and go to schools and test kids and do clinics and stuff like that around track sprinting. And I really enjoyed it, but it was a hobby, a fun thing to do kind of outside my business. And then I was uh, I was working with an athlete, Pete Mitchell, who was at the Junior World Champ- uh, Junior European Championships, I think it was 2007. And I was sitting in the stand, he was working with the GB coaches in the middle and I went with his dad to watch and, and support him. I'm sitting in the stands, I thought, I don't wanna go back to my real estate business. And it was that real kind of light bulb moment of, oh, okay. I don't want to do that anymore. I just don't enjoy it. So within six months, I'd sold my business. Incredibly fortunate that that was agreed December 2007 and the property crash happened in UK in January 2008. So I was very fortunate. I then created my own cycling coaching business. I had a reputation for working with young athletes and getting them into the GB program. Uh, and then I started working with master's athletes because we all know that's where the money is. So you want to pay your bills, you need master's athletes. And, and enjoyed that, and that was great. I came and did, I was coaching a guy um, on the internet who lived in San Jose, and he invited me to come and do a clinic there. So I came with my coaching partner, David LeBrice. We did a clinic there, and I loved it. Set up the next year to come back and stay for a month. Came back, stayed for a month, thinking, could I live here? Obviously, I could. Went back home to the UK. It rained for six weeks in a row every single day middle of june into august i worked at the olympics 2012 the day the olympics finished i found a lawyer applied for my visa and i'd moved to america by february the following year all right so that answers the question um and it also (laughs) um to me reveals a bit about your personality your character what 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 drives you uh and i'd like to poke a little bit on that decision of sitting up in the stands and and deciding you didn't want to go back to real estate um i'm I'm going to read between the lines and and say that it was because you enjoyed coaching so much um that you enjoyed the sporting side of it so much but probably that you were enjoying helping athletes right that is, is is that interpreting you correctly that that something about what you were doing was rewarding you were finding that you were good at it and that's when you decided i want to do this not go back to real estate is that fair yeah that's a that's a great observation joan i think as life's gone on i've tuned in more and more to what really motivates me and what my purpose in life is and i fell into real estate nobody really in the uk it's not as lucrative as it is here in the us nobody really sits there and goes i want to be a real estate agent it's what you do if you didn't go to university and you're quite switched on and i kind of fell into it i applied for 20 different jobs and i got three offers from real estate agents so i'm like okay the world is telling me something here um did it 
was good at it, so kept getting rewarded financially and getting promoted in the company that I was working in or you know, with my own business rewarded financially, but there wasn't the emotional reward that I was looking for. And I had a nice apartment in the seafront of Brighton and had a nice flash car, and I thought that was going to be enough, and it wasn't. And I'm like, there's got to be more to life. What is that? I just found myself getting more drawn to coaching, working with other people, helping other people achieve what they wanted to do. And I'd also, and this is, we're going to probably touch on this later, I'd also experienced really bad coaching. So I, I wanted to be the answer to really bad coaching. At, at that time in GB, we were still changing from the old school of sprint coaching with lots of volume and training and lots of road riding through this new model of concentrate on speed first, get really strong in the gym. So I wanted to be part of that movement as well of kind of changing the ethos of the sport. So both of those things were motivating me to go in a different direction. Now I want to touch on something else. <laughs> um, and I think it's relevant to where we'll go in this conversation when we talk about where you are today. Bad coaching. Mm. For you as a coach, but also as an athlete, what's bad coaching? <laughs> um well, I, I, that's a massive thing. And I think it, it depends, are you talking about, or are we talking about the emotional element of not holding a space correctly for athletes to be the best version of themselves, empower them, let them grow. You know, a sideline bully that stands there and shouts at athletes, makes them feel smaller, that kind of stuff. Or are we just talking like bad physiology, like bad technique coaching? I've experienced both. And I wanted to change both. To begin with, it was more the technical, tactical physiology that I was really interested in. And then it completely switched. And it got much more to the emotional side of it, which is how I've ended up doing what I'm doing now. As I learned that I had ability to connect with people on that level really well, I got more and more interested in that. And I realized there was other people that were more gifted than me, uh, physiology. And had I stayed working USA Cycling working with USA Cycling, I would have wanted a physiologist to come in with me and support me on that side of it. And I'm much more interested in the technical, tactical, tactical and emotional components of it. So the, the brain part of it. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's such an important thing um, in our sport, the, broadly, not just track cycling, but, but understanding good coaching. Um, from that emotional, mental component of it. Um, a good coach can lift you up, can open up your potential, and bad coaching uh, can be so destructive, uh, and it can, it can be so harmful. And I think that, that in our sport, that can take on whether it's abuse or if it's just limiting you as an athlete and, and not helping you find your full potential and... Uh, I think it's just an important thing for people to understand that that what the role of a coach is isn't just training, right? I think so many people get that wrong. They think I need to work with this coach because the training is good. Um, anybody, uh, any monkey can train you, right? You can you can go on on the Sufferfest or you can go on Trainer Road and you can get very fit, right? You can make yourself strong. You can make yourself fast with a with a canned program but can you thrive as an athlete and I think that that's what you're touching on is this ability to work with athletes and help them thrive and to thrive is very different than getting really fit on Zwift 
right? It's a, it's a very different thing. Um, and high performance athletes, like your athletes, and like your, like your clientele too, right? Your client base too. This is all high performance lifestyle. This is getting all aspects of it right, not just the, the workout, not just the time in the gym. It's all aspects of life. And I think that that's the, the great frontier for coaches, um, the good ones anyway. And, and so, you know, I think it's interesting to talk to you about that and, and get your perspective on the state of the sport, the state of coaching, state of good coaching versus bad coaching um, and, and what your observations are. I think there's a yeah, such a broad subject. There's, I know. So there's, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, where are we going to go first on that? I think of coaching in a few different ways. So I think the term gets used too much. So there's people that are facilitators, there's people that are trainers, and there's people that are coaches. A facilitator is somebody who's holding space for you to come and do a training session. A trainer is somebody that's writing what you're doing in that training session. A coach is somebody who is seeing you as a whole human being, yes. looking at the training you're doing in the session, giving you feedback on the training you're doing on the session, and then kind of holding a whole plan for how you as a human being can best perform. And that can sometimes be telling you to go home because you're not ready to train today, either emotionally or physically. When we started the ODP program, um, I was keen to get Ben Sharp in because I, I believed from what I'd seen, I'd only seen a little bit of him, um, but I pushed for him to come in and do the endurance side with me because I believe he had the same ethos as me about athletes. And my ethos is anybody that works with me leaves working with me a better human being, especially when we're talking about high performance, because you could have 30, 50 athletes come through a program like that. And if we got two or three that went on to Olympic level and achieve success, that's a pretty good result. So if our only marker for success is the results of the athletes, we're going to end up with a little a lot of disappointment for us as coaches. And we're going to be pushing people to achieve our own personal goals. Like my success is I've got an Olympic gold medalist. Rather than I view it, my success is that human beings come through our program, walk through our program and comes out of it a more rounded human being with more skills in life as a byproduct of what they've done in that training program. And hopefully a much better athlete as well. So that's kind of how I see my role as a coach is to help people be the best human beings they can and also help them be the best at the sport they've chosen to be. I've had conversations with athletes that have resulted them in choosing to do a different sport because this sport is not a good sport for them, for example. And they can be really challenging and difficult conversations to have. It's, we have a guardianship as a coach of the welfare of the people that we're dealing with and for me, it's really important that you put your own ego to one side. And it's taken me a long time to, you know, a long time to learn that. I, I was very driven myself. I'm like, my guys are going to win everything. And I realize that's not my place at all. My place is to empower them to be the best versions of themselves. If the result of that is, uh, is them winning bike races, so be it. Yeah, I think that that's so important. And I think you've nailed it, right? The difference, like uh, people have asked me about coaching before, not me to coach them but just my my philosophy on coaching and i think that um like i said before anybody can write you a program and make you fast it's the the other piece of that puzzle that's so important and i think that uh trust and honesty are so important which is what you touched on look hey you're not this sport is not the thing for you this this pathway is 
you are more suited for this pathway than this pathway. Um, that type of brutal honesty and assessment is so key and important in a coaching well, athlete relationship. I, I just want to be careful there, Joan. That it's, yeah. it's not led by me in that instance. That's led by the athlete. And it's usually them being very unhappy. But the sport tends to bring in people that have a lot of natural grit. So what they keep doing is bumping up against this thing yep. because that's what they've been told they should do. Like hard work, great work ethic. It's the person the hardest. And they're bumping up against these things that actually aren't bringing them joy. And what is life about if we're not having joy? Like, why are we doing this? And it could be it's emotionally not good for them. It could be physically it's not good for them. Their, their body type doesn't fit what they're doing or... You know, I've, I've encouraged people to go from endurance to sprint or from sprint to endurance because their body type isn't for, for what they're trying to do. Or, you know, like it's just not the right sporting environment for them that they're in. They might want to go and consider something else. And that's led by them getting to this point where they, they're bumping up against this thing and they're not finding joy. It's not about, for me, not about so much the physicality, because if you're doing this and you're not going to be a world champion, but you love it, you should keep doing this. But if you're doing this and you're not enjoying it and you think you're doing it because you've been told by parents you got it or, or you, there's this belief that you, you can't fail, that doing something different is failure, that's where I think that the edge of it is. And it should always be led by the athlete. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you used a word I like, grit. Uh, you've used yeah. that in conversations with me before. Uh, define grit. I'm trying to think of the woman who wrote the book on it. I think I think her name's Angela Duckworth. It's the ability to persevere in difficult times. Um, I'll give you an example of grit. So um, I have a young athlete, um, and <clears throat> I'm only coaching two athletes now until the the national team program is set up for them to move into. So I've kind of really moved out of this. But there's two I'm just looking after to help. One of these athletes trains somewhere where it's constantly over 100 degrees, often training by themselves, had an issue with, before we sorted it out, with throwing up after almost every effort, never complained, went and trained, threw up five times in 100 and something plus degrees with a big smile on her face. I don't know how she did it. I would not have been able to do that. Just that amount of perseverance to overcome the obstacles in the way is what sets, for me, really high-performance people apart. And you can learn that, and there's also an intrinsic element that you're born with. And that's why not everybody can be a super high performer, which is fine, because not everybody needs to be. Right. So interesting. So you, you tease that up. You are now coaching just two athletes, uh, and you are now moving into what I guess you could describe as uh, a human behavior and performance coach. You are working with normal people uh, and, and helping normal people find joy. Um, and t tell us about that. Tell us about that transition. Um, because I think it's interesting because, again, it, it just makes me think of you sitting in the stands, figuring out what makes me happy, what I want to go back to. Uh, and honing in on what your skill set is and where you thrive. Uh, so tell us about your transition away from being the ODA, ODP, sorry, ODP track sprint coach and the CEO of your your company and your vice president of your of your your company and and how that transition worked and what drove that change. 
Yeah, um, love that question. Thank you, Jan. I, I was already beginning, well, let's not begin. I was already really unhappy in, in the role. Um, I was in Milton in Canada at a race. Uh, we took a bunch of the ODP athletes to. I think we won every sprint event of the competition. Actually, we didn't win the kilo. It was the only one we didn't win. We won every sprint event by the kilo of the competition. And I was there, and I'm looking at the setup that the Canadians had. So they had two full-time sprint coaches, two full-time gym coaches, physios, a team of coaches looking for talent. I was doing that entire role by myself for USA Cycling on the sprint side, and it was part-time. They weren't paying me enough money for it to be a full-time role. So I still had my own private master cycling coaching business. I was working seven days a week. Like, this is not sustainable. I was in negotiation with them to move into a full-time position as uh, the sprint coach and the negotiations were not going well. And then COVID hit and everything got blown up. And I'm sitting there thinking, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to being a master's coach? Well, I've done that for the last 12, 13 years and fulfilling that it was, it didn't feel like a, enough of an act of service because as I was moving more into this, I want to help people be better versions of themselves emotionally or enable them to be better versions of themselves emotionally. What does that look like? I'm looking at the politics and the division in the politics. And I'm thinking there's so much anger in this world. How do I be part of the cure? I don't want to be a politician. That's definitely not my skill set. So I, I kind of think I want to be better at creating community and, and affecting more people. And with sports coaching, you know, the national team or the ODP team, I was working with 12 athletes. So I'm thinking, how can I, what can I do that's going to work with more people and the people that I work with, how are they going to affect more people around? Them? So I started a men's group for myself and some friends right at the beginning of the pandemic because people were kind of struggling. We're all stuck at home, like everyone's freaking out. What's going on? What's this going to look like? And it went really well. And I'd been in men's groups back in the UK for quite a long time and kind of knew the power of them and what it's like for kind of men to sit down and actually understand emotions and talk to each other. And I realized I have a gift for teaching emotional intelligence, especially to men. And because I'm a normal guy, I'm not a hippie with like long hair who's like, yeah, flower power man. That's just not my way. So <laughs> I can connect with average men, normal men, better than those kind of guys. And, and the people doing that kind of men's coaching, the people going to them are quite emotionally astute anyway. And I was looking for the guys that are like, a bit like me when I was younger. I got, I got some success, but I'm not happy and I don't understand why I'm not happy. And that was what I was looking for. So I started Simmons groups. They went really well, like took off really quickly. And then I started doing one-to-one -one coaching, both for men and women. And now it seems to be, I've kind of fallen into a more high performance role where I, I work with startup companies and I work with the leaders of startup companies and the executive teams of startup companies and help them transition from that startup stage into a bigger company where they're managing lots of people. And I've discovered I really like working on leadership. Like that's, that's the bit that particularly excites me is how we are as leaders. And again, then that fits into my purpose of, you work with a leader, they infect their entire company. And we're able to help hundreds of people instead of one person. Right, it's fascinating. Um, you use the phrase emotional intelligence. 
push on that a little bit. <laughs> What's that? What What's that stuff? stuff? Yeah. What is it? Um, and how do you know when you have it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you ever know that. Um, so the, so the, what I do with a men's group is, because this is probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, the first week is why you're here. So people come with all these things that are like, you know, I've got this going on in my life, or I don't understand this, or I'm just unhappy, and we get this story. And the first part of that is a group of men sitting down together in a container where we've, we create safety. So we say, everything shared here is, is, is personal to here. We don't share it with anybody else. There's no judgment or shame here. Like any of that, I would immediately moderate. If there's any aggression or or um, anger towards each other, I would moderate that. And if it got bad, you'd get bad from the group. So we, we, we create somewhere where people can communicate and be heard. And lots of people have never been truly heard where a group of people are sitting there and listening to them instead of listening to respond to them. So that's a new concept for a lot of people. They get a space where people are just listening to be curious. So that's the first part of emotional intelligence is starting to listen to be curious rather than listening to have your response, to have your like, I've got the answer for you, or let me show you how smart I am, or let me share my experience too. It's just listening to be curious. Then the next thing we do is we work with emotions. So I work with four emotions, anger, fear, sadness, and joy. And these are the physical responses that we feel that give us information about the world and the experience that we're having. And men and women get a different experience when they're growing up. Women are encouraged to express those emotions a bit more than men are, I wouldn't say as much as they should, but certainly more than men. And even with women, there's some connotations about what they can, like they should express anger, but they can express sadness and fear. Men are told they definitely can't express fear and sadness. Don't be a pussy, don't be a wimp, chin up, all that kind of stuff. Anger is appropriate, but only at certain times, not when it should be healthily expressed. And when you watch young children, they have these big emotional responses <clears throat> and they're fast. They, get, they cry and then they stop crying. They laugh, they stop laughing. And they're processed in the world through this emotional experience. And we train ourselves out of it as adults. It, that's what we're designed to do, to have an emotional response and then to have a cognitive response to our emotional response. So the emotion is data. So fear could be telling me there's something I'm, I'm about to do that could be difficult or that I'm, look, could be challenging or that I'm unsure of. So I feel fear. Great. I check in with that. It gets me ready to take on that challenge. If I ignore that, it can be crippling to get to the point I don't take on any challenges because the fear is now so crippling. I don't want to take challenges on, but I don't know why, because I'm not living in the, in the emotion in the moment. It's so interesting. So full disclosure to our listeners, you and I had a conversation, like a, a session, which I have, uh, yep. which I thought was incredibly insightful. And I'm a big believer in, in, in all of this type of thing, which is why I worked with sports psychologists, which is why I have a coach, which is why I was very interested to talk to you, because I think that even as a female, I have been, um, especially as a female of a certain age, right? Where where we're yeah. the we're the we're the cusp of the first generation of women who are doing things like sports. Like we're the Title IX generation, yeah. so we're on that leading edge of women in the workforce. All of these things, and so I've always been sort of again pr told to process things 
you know, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, you're not allowed to do this. And does it impact your decision making process? Does it impact how you go to work every day? How does it impact how I manage Mora, you know, who, who works on my team? Um, and so I, I found the conversation that we had to be incredibly insightful for me. I thought it was in, incredibly helpful for me in a decision making process. Um, and so it's, it's partially why I wanted to have you on the pod, um, because I think of our listeners, a handful are, are high performance athletes, you know, because there are only a handful of high performance athletes. But more broadly speaking, I think what you're talking about for our listeners, I'm not a high performance athlete. I think I'm a high performance lifestyle person in terms of work and how I approach work. So I put myself in that high performance bucket, right? I do all the things, check all the boxes to eat right, sleep right, you know, recover. Uh, read, stay up on all the, the, the management things. So I, I, I consider myself a high performance individual, even though I'm not a high performance athlete. And I think we probably have a fair number of listeners who would fall into that category themselves. Yes, they may be a, a master's athlete or a, a junior athlete, but in the rest of their lives, they may be high performance people. And I think what you're saying is fascinating because when you're a high performance person, you need to understand the full context of your universe, universe, right? The, your why, your mission statement, your, is this bringing me joy or am I just throttling forward because I have to? Um, and, and I think it's what you're saying. We're in a, we're in a period of time here because of the pandemic, because of sort of institutional change that happened around the pandemic. We're in an interesting point for people to have this moment of, introspection um and and think about you know yes i'm a high performance person but am i doing what brings me joy and is this the opportunity let me let me stop you there joy because joy is a really interesting concept in itself we see joy as being the destination like i want to be happy like how often you hear people say i want to be happy happy is not a destination it's a state of being in the moment so joy is about being really present in the moment so emotions they're not just this thing we feel they tend to have time scales sadness is usually around loss or something in the past you know anger and joy are in the moment usually and fear is in the future Mm-hmm. And it's about being present. And it's very hard for us to be present right now with there's the fear, you know, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, the fear of what's going to happen next. You know, I'm sitting there going, what do I do? I, I've just lost two thirds of my income. I just negotiated a, a role that I thought was going to go on until 2028. And now there's a new high performance director, like everything's changing. They've canceled all the programs like huge fear in that moment about what was going to come next so how do i stay in the moment to be able to make these thoughtful decisions about what's going to happen and find some joy in the midst of the uncertainty absolutely how do i keep bringing myself back to the moment and the joy and it's the same as as we do in in coaching athletes you get back into the process somebody comes to you and they say right i want to win a gold medal great what are you going to do today that's going to enable you to win a goal in 10 years time because the concept of a gold medal at the olympics it's just a concept it's not something tangible that you can like how do i get the gold medal so you work on the process which is what can i do today and the the happiest for want of a better term people i see are those that spend a lot of time 
in the process and enjoying their process. And the outcome is a byproduct Absolutely. of a happy process, not the thing that well, they get their joy from. I, I was just listening to a podcast this morning by a guy called Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist at Stanford University. He has a great podcast if anybody's interested. And he's talking about dopamine and how dopamine is the motivator for us. And if our dopamine levels are really low, we don't feel very motivated. So if we chase a lot of shiny objects, our dopamine level gets depleted, and then we don't have the energy to go and do things. And it's how we stay in the moment, going back to your grit, stay in the moment, find some perseverance, but enjoy the perseverance right. instead of use the perseverance to beat ourselves up or instead of, instead of use the perseverance as justification to do things that we don't enjoy anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? It, it, it is 100% makes sense. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think in a lot of ways, personally, it's what drives me. Right. Yeah. Uh, if I if I love what I'm doing, even if it's mundane, the process of going to work every day can be mundane. But if I enjoy it, if I enjoy the people I'm with, I, if I enjoy the the mission that I'm trying to achieve, it makes every day great. And it, it can still be and mundane. And it's a choice around that. Right. You know, you have to choose to do that. So one of the biggest things that, that's come out from the studying and the work I'm doing, and the, I'm on lots of coaching courses myself to be a better coach in this role that I'm taking on. I'm doing a ton of studying about leadership. It's about enjoying the process and leaning into the process and finding those moments for joy. And that takes an effort. It's a choice. Absolutely. You know, so we get our emotional response and then lots of people just respond from a reactive place. So there's a concept I really like called above and below the line. So below the line is your emotive reactive state to some kind of stimulus. You know, be that anger, be that fear, and then the story that we create around that anger or fear. And then do I react from that place and get spiteful and point back at you? Or do I take a breath and go, what is this telling me What's the choice I have about how I want to react? And giving yourself a little bit of space and going, I get to choose. As an adult human being, I get to choose the right path in reaction. And it makes a huge difference into the way that we communicate with each other, the way that you show up in the world, the way that I'm communicating with the people I work with, as opposed to having this emotional reaction and then just going, Wah! and throwing it out. Or storytelling. So we make up a story about what's going on for the other person that may or may not be true. We don't check it, and then we react from the place of the story that we've made up. And this person has no idea about the story we've made up, and it may or may not be true, but we're reacting from something we've invented in our head and then making a decision based on that. And that's where people can, what we would call miscommunication. People aren't communicating because they're not checking in. They're just writing a script in their head. Oh, this person doesn't like me. They haven't called me back because they don't like me. Might just be they're busy or they forgot. And it's nothing to do with you. But you write the script. Oh, they're not calling back because they don't like me. And then you send them a, you know, a, a crappy message because you think they don't like you. Fascinating. 
Okay, so <laughs> no, no, it's 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 so fascinating, and you and I go down these rabbit holes, and I love it. So let's take a <laughs> let's take a step back though, because I think our conversation sort of started with the premise that I already know what you're doing, um, and so for our yeah. listeners, we may have gone a little bit fast forward past that. <laughs> um, so because it's a it's a super good, I knew it would be, and I'm excited that we're having it. Um, so so let's take a step back and and just talk nuts and bolts. So pandemic started you started with this men's group you've turned this into a now a thriving thing you're you're working with startups in particular um what i, I just want to like this is the this is the crass commercial part portion of the podcast if people want to find out more about you uh tell us how they find out more about you right now just and we'll put this in the show notes yeah, as well so but. um thank you so uh maximize your potential coaching.com uh, is the website um, uh, my wife, we didn't really mention her, but she's a psychotherapist. So I'm, uh, I'm the vice president of her business and kind of help her with that business. And that's awesome. She's like killing it. She saved me. I had, I was like, uh-oh, I've got no income. <laughs> and she's just gone crazy. Uh, pandemic has helped in that. So we've been lucky that we're in a field that the pandemic has actually been really good for. So we got incredibly lucky. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn maximize your potential coaching really the best way is just to reach out to me and have a conversation with me i'm open to having a conversation with anybody about it i'm not particularly big on social media because it doesn't really it's not what i do right. and it's not really what my business is about my business is about people connecting with people seeing where they're at seeing where they want to get to so coaching what i do the easiest way to describe it is see where you're at as a human being so here's the challenges i'm being presented with as a human being here's my stuff that's getting in the way where do i want to get to and then i help you cross that bridge to where you want to get to whatever that is yeah i like it um and you can see where your history in working with athletes uh would translate incredibly well to working with CEOs or with business people or with leaders in the business community because it's the same thing, right? They're the same people. They are unbelievably motivated. You know, I had a conversation with the leader last week and he's talking about how he motivates his team. And he's talking to me and he's going, I don't get it, Lee. Like they, they don't want to work 20 hours a day. And they're like, I, I don't know how to motivate these people. And we've got these like bonuses, I think are really generous and they don't want to do the same thing that I do. And I want to do a five minute mile. And I'm like, they're not motivated the same way that you are. Like you're an exceptional high achiever who is completely driven. And now your company's expanded. You're going to get people that but don't want to lead, they want to be led. They want clear boundaries. They want clear definitions of what you expect for them. And he thinks everybody's just going to come to work and be like this amazing self-starter and just guess what he wants them to do. And I'm like, no, they need structure and they need boundaries. And because he thinks that's not what he wants, he sees the world like that. So that's the big part of leadership is how do you step to where somebody else is and see the world from their point of view, so empathy, match them to a point you can encourage them and support them and motivate them or help them be motivated. I don't really believe you can motivate others, but you can support them in their own motivation without projecting what makes you wanna do things on them. 
And that's the, that's the key to it. If we lead everybody like we want to be led, you're going to end up with a lot of unhappy people. And the higher performer you are, the more kind of single focused you are, the harder it is for you to see that and the harder it is for you to connect with these people and create this kind of harmonious group of people all working in the same direction. Yes. No, I like it. I, 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 I mean, again, I, I lead a small organization here and I sit back and I, and I think about that. I think about that when I lead my team and I think about that when I communicate with my team. And I think that that's incredibly important. Um, selfishly, I also wish you would do that same thing for coaches in our sport um, because I think that that's a skill set. Honey, you should mention that, Jack. Oh. Uh, since we've last spoken, um, a friend of mine, a woman called uh, Miriam, runs a company called Athlete Soul. And the purpose of this company is a nonprofit. The purpose of a company is to help athletes transition from sports to the outside world, whatever that may be. Um, started working with high performers. She's an ex-Olympian herself, ex-national team coach. And she was seeing all these Olympians that had no idea what to do next. And, and that big hangover of my life was about this four-year cycle. What comes next? Saw this, saw people struggling, created his company. It's kind of now moved to any athlete that's looking to transition onto what's next. Um, we've become friends. We're developing a company at the moment that's going to be for sports coaches. And the point of it is going to, to be to help and support sports coaches emotionally themselves. You know, I know that there was times in my role, I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who to get advice from. I didn't know who to vent with. It was, it was hard to get that kind of support. And the higher up the coaching tree you go, the harder it is to find it. And also, I didn't have the skill set I needed. Like looking back now, what I've learned in the last two years, that would have really helped me as a sports coach. So we want to provide training, and help for sports coaches on their emotional intelligence, seeing where athletes are coming from and helping them be better coaches, like coaches as in the word coaching, rather than here, here's your physiology textbook and this is the muscle types. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a huge gap there in, in cycling. Yes, but it probably broadly across all the sports. I mean, if you look at, if you look at any of the, sports that that youth play that that adults play right and that and it should be play for us right grown-ups it's play it's i play bikes um but i think that's a huge gap i mean i've i've in my 20 years of racing bikes i've had good coaching and bad coaching um and it's something where as a person who wants to see our sport develop grow thrive i think it's one of those cornerstones of what will help the sport in this country grow, expand, thrive. Um, and, and so I'm thrilled to hear that that's something that you're going to apply the skill set to because it's so important. There are so many bad coaches. Um, and there's, there's so many good ones too. Let's, I'm not, I'm not bashing coaches, but I personally have seen bad coaching. I've seen what it can do. And so I'm personally thrilled that, that there is this, 
professional development available because like you said everybody can teach you about the latest you know oh we'll get your athlete on a whoop or here's the latest in in strength training here's you know the latest gizmo but what they're not really doing is developing the part of the coach that then develops the mind of the athlete um and so i think that we don't you know we say we as uh, usa cycling um we don't attend to that you know when we look at the training that they offer for coaches if you're a track sprint coach there's none um you know if you're an endurance coach there's some but that emotional component is either very small or non-existent in it and actually that probably has the biggest impact on your ability. So if you if we look in the professional work, study after study shows that soft skills are the biggest determinator into how far you're gonna go in your corporate career. And it's the same for, for sports coaches. We pick sports coaches very poorly, I think, because often we look at how good they were at the sport, and yes. that seems to be relevant for how they're going to be as a coach. Completely different skill sets, they bear no resemblance even knowing how to do something well doesn't mean you can communicate it to somebody else and being incredibly determined and single-minded yourself doesn't mean you'll be able to be there for somebody else and put them beyond your own ego so there's a completely different skill set from being a great athlete to being a great coach some people make it a lot don't you look at most of the world's leading coaches in a variety of sports they either didn't do the sport or they were fairly average at it and had to outthink their rivals and understand the sport better to get to where they got to. I think that was for me, I wasn't as gifted as my master's racing competitors. So I had to think, how can I get more from me, which helped me be more analytical about the sport itself, a better student of the sport, which helped me coach. So I look at it as it's just another skill set. It's another leadership and communication skill set that we don't teach sports coaches. We just assume they know it. Right. Yet we teach leaders in, in, in the corporate world all the time. Like all they're talking about is leadership training. Right. So I know want to bring, having had that experience, I want to bring that stuff back into sports coaching. Because if you look at the effect on human beings, you've got your parents, you've got your school teachers, and you've got sports coaches. And as adults working with children and young people, we have the biggest effect. Like I can vehemently remember good sports coaches at school and bad ones and the effect they had on me and how they made me feel. So that's another part of it where we can help these coaches be like that other part of creating a better society because they have so much effect on the people that they work with. You're such an important role model. Absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, there's so many examples of where it, when it's bad, it, it's destructive. And when it's good, yeah. it, it does. It seeds the whole community with goodness, right? It, it seeds the whole community with healthy things as opposed to destructive. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's amazing that that's a direction that you're, you're also looking because I think it's so important, um, particularly now, you know, we're, 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 coaches who are working with athletes who are just like us, like just like the grownups in, in the pandemic, right? Who are like, oh, well, we, we're uncertainty and it's, it's fear and it's still like two years later and we still don't know. Well, you know, think about somebody like Maura sitting here who just graduated from college. She spent her last year of college, you know, remote, um, didn't, didn't get to necessarily have the, the senior year swim, swim 
stuff that she she was a swimming athlete you know she didn't necessarily get to have the finish to her athletic career that no, we did she wanted but like <laughs> you know like you just like well just using you as an example right, but right. you know like it, it it kids today are like just as uncertain as the grown-ups are right but they have coaches now that could help them manage this just like you're helping people manage the weirdness with your with your men's group and you know developing this emotional intelligence you know this is a, a, a great scary time for kids who are in school programs and whatever so if we have better coaches we're just better equipping everybody to deal with this and i think it's really important and it it's again something that i I don't know i've been thinking about this podcast with you since we spoke last um which i just been turning over in my head like this is a person who has a lot to offer on an important front particularly where we are right now um and so yeah so I think it's amazing that that's the direction you're going because I didn't know you were going in that direction when I brought it up. So. No, no, it's it's, it's really new. Um, and you know, thanks, John. I really appreciate that. I'm lucky that I've made so many mistakes because the mistakes I've made have led me to here with all of the opportunities I've had to do things wrong. Um, I had a really bad habit of going up to people and saying, "Hey, here's what you're doing wrong." It came from a place of like, I want to help you. So it came from like a, a place of love and a place of heart where I'm like, hey, I can see you're doing this thing and you want to be better and I want to help you. But my skill set was terrible. So my advice wasn't received. In fact, it was it was seen as being belittling and it was seen as being rude because I'm coming up and telling you can't do something properly. So it made me have to go and up my skill set. Like, how do you give feedback to people? Like there is a skill to giving feedback in such a way that people can receive it. And the very first part of that is you have to ask if you can give feedback. I'd miss that all the time, just going and offering my feedback willy-nilly and people are like, who is this dude telling me that I I can't do it properly? And I'm thinking I'm being helpful and I'm not because my clumsy attempt at helping them actually made them feel worse. I wasn't taking responsibility for the impact that I was having in the way I was delivering the feedback. So then I had to go and learn how to do it. And this is what led me down this rabbit hole of like the corporate world and leadership. And now I want to bring that back. I want to bring that back into sports coaching. Uh, I did some clinics earlier in the year on how to give feedback. And the coaches that I presented it to loved it. I presented it to a, a national team organization. Um, I, I worked with, um, with a coach uh, whose team was at the Olympics and just like hearing them talk about how it changed the way they coach is really exciting for me because it just allows you to as a coach your knowledge hasn't changed you're telling somebody the same knowledge but you get much more buy-in as to how they receive it so there's this greater harmony between you and the person that you're working with yeah i think that's incredibly important particularly as as an athlete who's begged for feedback from coaching in the past where it's i you know you want it and if the coach doesn't know how to deliver it in a constructive way, then it's pointless, you know, and it doesn't help either of you. It makes the coach uncomfortable because they're doing something that they don't feel comfortable doing. And then it's delivered to you in a way that either doesn't help you because you're you can't process it or it's delivered in a way that is harmful um, or it's delivered yeah. in a way that's just irrelevant. Right. Where it doesn't penetrate so it doesn't succeed. And so I think that 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 ability to give feedback is so important um, and and can be so powerful, but can often be so destructive um, and can really do damage. I mean, I will, 
I, my, my first, and I, I consider it a coaching relationship, but it wasn't. I mean, it was a teacher, student. I was in ballet for a very long time, and yeah. ballet has a very fucked up feedback loop, let's be honest. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, where the, the feedback for is... Sure. <laughs> the, the feedback is, you're not thin enough, I can't set a teacup in your clavicle. That is not wow. helpful coaching feedback, right? It, it's, yeah. it's, but it's how, yeah. but it's what my frame of reference for, for coaching was because that's what I, the, the world that I grew up in. Oh, who has the most bones in their sternum? As the leader of this organization, we're going to count everybody's bones in their sternum and see who wins today. <laughs> but that's so. How to mess up, how to mess up young people. How to mess up young Can people. Can I do a little bit of teaching um, here quickly? Sure. Around language because I find language fascinating. So a big mistake I see when we're communicating with people is telling them what we don't want them to do rather than what we do want them to do. So you talk about the effectiveness of communicating stuff and giving your feedback as a coach. So many times I'd hear people say, I don't want you to do this. You can't not do something. We have to do something. So is much more effective to talk about what you want people to do. And, you know, the example from cycling that always comes to mind is everybody shouting from the sidelines, don't be at the back, Johnny. Where do you want me to be then? So instead, you're talking to your athlete about making sure that after they've done their change, they're back into the top third of the race and how to do that. So you go high so you can see the whole field. You look for the gap and you come in with some aggression so that you can get the gap. Don't be at the back isn't something I can do. I can't, I can't do that. So that's not helping me because it's not telling me what I need to do. So just understanding that and think about what you want people to do rather than what you don't want them to do is the really effective way of getting people to change their behavior. And then there's the other part of the appreciate the stuff that they're doing well big failing for me as a coach is being so focused on what people need to change you miss reinforcing what they're doing well so then they hear just a lot of critical feedback like hey you need to do this different hey you need to do that different instead of you're doing this really well let's reward you for that or let's emphasize what you're doing really well and that could be anything that can be the attitude you bring to a training session that can be being able to hold a really good arm position while you're doing a hard sprint effort it can be hey i noticed that you're always the first person here and set up first anything can be reinforced and that also then helps people be able to perform at a higher level so that's an excellent excellent point i think for us to almost wrap up on because i you've been on this uh, this this has been an hour we've already been talking for an hour which is <laughs> unbelievable like i feel like we've been talking for five minutes and i could keep going forever and ever but it's been an hour and you're a, you have a a real job to attend to um let's focus in some for our listeners when you're selecting a coach when you when you are establishing a, a coaching relationship in your mind lee povey what should somebody be looking for up front when they're saying i need a new coach how do you how do you put them through this litmus test of is this a person from your perspective anyway is this a person that will address my mental emotional uh well-being as much as 
the, the, the training plan, right? How do you, what would your, what would your five points of assessment be for a, for a parent okay. looking for a coach or a, mm. a master looking for a coach? Okay, so point one, are they curious about me as a human being? On the first of all, are they telling me everything that they're going to do for me or are they asking me about me? Are they asking about my history? Are they asking about what works for me, what doesn't work for me? And just curious rather than trying to tell me. Are they trying to understand me? Are they honest? Are they honest? Are they telling me the feedback that I need to hear or do they just tell me things to make me feel good about myself? Because there's a sales element to coaching, unfortunately, um, where people, I, I, we had a coach in the UK that would always give people faster times than they're done. And then these athletes had come to a clinic, me and my friend Dave run, and we never lied about a time. We'd give them their time and they're like, well, with this other guy, I was a second faster. And you're like, no, he's just lying to you about the time doing. So honesty is really important. You can't, you can't improve without honesty. You can't, it's hard for you to. How do their other athletes view them? I would speak to the other athletes, like what's the relationship like? Is there a good boundary between friendly and professional? Like, is this person able to hold good boundaries or are they over-friendly? Are they inserting themselves into your life especially for female athletes and younger athletes, are they inserting themselves into your life so much that those boundaries are being crossed? Or are they good at knowing the difference between we have an interpersonal relationship and then here's where that stops? Because a coaching relationship can be really close. You know, I've had athletes tell me some really deep things about themselves, yet I still maintain the boundary of I am your coach, I'm not your friend. And if we develop a friendship that's outside of the coaching relationship, these things are different and how you hold the boundary about it. Do they know their sport? Like, do they understand their sport? Do they understand the technical element of their sport? I'd ask them to give me some feedback on something. I'd send them a video of me racing and I'd say, can you give me feedback on that and see how they approach giving you the feedback? Are they able to give feedback? Because, you know, if you're just starting out, if you have somebody who writes a basic training program for you and there's a cheerleader and just, yeah, you're doing really great, that's going to get you a very short way, then you're going to need somebody that can provide you with actual technical feedback. And then I would be like, how do, how do I feel around this person? Does this person make me feel good in their company? Or does this person make me feel crappy in their company? Like I, I'm not good enough, like I don't belong. And are they good at separating their own need for me to do well because it looks good from them from my need for me to do well like that's one of the things one little tidbit about coaching and this is more track specific i don't like seeing coaches giving right of lots of information just before they're about to race you see it on the start line and they're like right in their right in his face and they're trying to hype him up or they're giving him a load of information at that point it's too late for the rider to absorb what's going on the most i would do is i'd roll a rider up to line, pat him on the back and say go smash this or remember you're faster or one coaching element at most like you know, be prepared to them to go from the gut one thing if somebody's given a lot of technical information for me they don't understand how somebody learns you do that in the pits when we're all calm you get them prepared you watch the videos whatever you need to do rolling up to the line the athlete needs to get into their correct state to be able to perform just let them do it 
And sometimes there's a performative element where you see coaches and it's like almost a showing off for the people in the stands. And it's like, no, my job is to step back. The athlete is the person who's here to go and show you what they're capable of. My job is just to hold a space for them to do that. And that is it, whatever they need. And if the athlete particularly wants you to hype them up, then sure, if they're requesting that. But again, it's knowing the difference between, is it my ego I'm fulfilling at the moment? Or am I looking after the best needs of this person that I'm working with? Yeah. All right. So for our listeners, I think you are not going to get better advice on selecting a coach than that. And I also think that that is a lens in which all of us who are in coaching relationships should evaluate that relationship because it is a relationship and it should be evaluated on an ongoing basis is this working are are we meeting these measures are we are we following this sort of great roadmap that you just laid out because if you're not there are questions to be asked i think um and so i think yes thank you for uh stating that so clearly and and i think it's it's absolutely important for people to listen to when they think about their coaching relationships like all of it the boundaries the is it my ego is it you all of it is is so incredibly important when you're evaluating your coaching relationship or selecting a new one so thank you for that i got all of those things wrong at some point or other i'm sure so I, it's not like yeah that there's some perfect way of doing this no um, but it's, but it's good to have those striving things striving to do that now, if the coaches, you know, that growth mindset is striving to always make sure they're, they're addressing those areas and they're getting better at them, that's somebody I would work with. And there's coaches I've come across that I think are just awesome. And I'm like, I'd really like to work with them either as a colleague or as an athlete. And then there's others that just make me feel icky or make me feel small around them. Like it's all around, it's all about them. And I would not want to work with them. And, and I think it's important to people to realize you can change coaches. I don't think you need to change coaches every five minutes. If you're not getting what you emotionally want from that relationship, don't think you have to stay in it. Like you get to change coaches. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you, Lee. It's been terrific. We're going to Thank put, you, Joan. We're going to put all of this good stuff in our show notes. Um, and I just have one more thing that came up in our research, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> so according to um, one website, uh, Cycling Shorts, you enjoy trashy American TV shows such as Gossip Girl and How I Met Your Mother. Is this true? <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. My favorite one at the moment is You on Netflix. I binged the hell out of that this weekend. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, see, yeah. I, and and even worse, I'm just going to out myself now. Even worse, I really like singing talent shows. Oh, no. <laughs> I hate the drama that goes with it. I have to fast forward the story. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what's happened to their parents. I don't care about any of that. I just like the bit where they sing and they're really good. I can't watch the audition shows. I can't watch the ones that are rubbish and delusional. Like, it angers me. I just <laughs> want to listen to people that are really good at singing. Like, I really, really like really good singers all right see i'm glad i brought this up so this is where we're going to end fan of gossip girl <laughs> fan of how i met your mother and fan of singing shows lee povey you have been amazing thank you so much for coming on the pod i hope our listeners uh take the time to really listen to this one because there was a lot of good that was discussed in here a lot of uh deep thoughts i think and uh Yes, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a real joy and an honor to have you on. And yeah, look them up, thank you, folks. 
and yeah, I mean, just if anybody wants to talk about these concepts further, if there's any coaches out there that want to talk to me about this kind of stuff, message me. I have a, a free hour consultation to anybody that wants to talk about this kind of stuff. So yeah, reach out to me. Fantastic. Thanks, Lee. Thank you for listening. This has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Head over to our website at thebelladrome.com where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.